Rob Shaw is the founder and head coach of Mountain Tactical Institute. With a strong emphasis on sports-specific program design, Rob works closely with professional mountain guides, alpine climbers, free skiers, kayakers, backcountry hunters, and a diverse range of athletes. Rob's expertise extends up to training the military, law enforcement, and firefighter personnel from various countries. He's conducted comprehensive strength and conditioning programs for elite forces such as Navy SEALs, Army Green Berets, Air Force Combat Controllers, Air Force PJs, Army and Air Force EOD, federal and state law enforcement SWAT teams, as well as urban and wildland firefighters. His contributions include the development of a highly effective pre-deployment programs that are benefit, benefited numerous military individuals and units worldwide. Let's get after it. We have a professional obligation for the ethical application of, uh, of force. You can have a growth mindset where you're always achieving for better. This is about us, about our guard, our reputation. We are all in this together. Outthink, outmaneuver, and outfight the enemy. If you wage war, do it energetically and with severity. This is the only way to make it shorter and consequently less inhumane. Thanks for joining us for TVN for another episode of the Raven Report podcast. I'm Chaplain Sanders, and I have three very interesting individuals on with me today. So I'm just going to uh, go clockwise or counterclockwise for me. So uh, first, we have uh, Surfers Class Caleb Bryan, who's our Master Fitness Trainer. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, sir. How are you guys doing today? All right. And then we have uh, returning again, uh, Sergeant First Class Austin J. Carmat, who is the Operations NCO for uh, Recruiting Retention Battalion. How are you, man? Doing awesome, sir. I mean, I'm uh, very excited today. Oh, to be honest well, with you. Yeah. All yeah. right. Excellent. <laughs> For a hectic uh, week. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, as it always is in uh, RB, it seems like. Yeah. Uh, and then we have uh, Rob Shaw of the Mountain Tactical Institute. How are you, man? Hey, good, Brandon. Hello, fellas. Yeah, all right. How are you, sir? So uh, the way this is going to work, like I am a, uh, a chubby chaplain, and so like I've invited these two guys on, on to help drive this conversation, try to get the most out of uh, your experience and, and knowledge. And so uh, AJ here is going to just take it away for us, and uh, we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, for sure. Hey, so it's really good to put a face to the name. Uh, uh, actually, I've seen some of your videos online and whatnot, and then prior, uh, just seeing like the the sheets of printed paper that were passed around when I was, you know, on traditional active duty of like, Hey, you know, you're going to go to selection. This is the plan you have to do. And there's this guy named Rob and he, you know, kind of threw it all together. And so it's really cool to see this come full circle, but I, I was initially curious, just uh, understanding, you know, what initially got you into strength and fitness and like, how did you find yourself here? Is this your, your passion and all that? I've always been just kind of a, a gym rat myself. I'm not a very good mm -hmm. athlete. So, you know, I always made up for it by working hard in the gym. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but yeah, for sure. Even that didn't make up for it. I, I still uh, sucked at uh, sports. Uh, but uh, um, so I had uh, and so I always dabbled in, uh, you know, uh, programming for myself pretty quickly. I uh, you know started doing my own programming. And then uh, um, I was in a I went to Coast Guard Academy and then uh, was in a Coast Guard for my uh, my uh, commitment there for five years. And then after I did that i uh returned here to wyoming and uh, started a, a company and uh as that was winding down i uh, was just kind of training in uh this local um we really didn't have a in the small town we didn't have a, a gym at all it was pretty much a, a 
physical therapy uh, place and they had a Smith's machine and some dumbbells, right? And one rack. Uh, but yeah. anyway, I, I was training there. And, and of course, the way I trained, everybody was wanting to know what the hell I was doing because I was a freak. And uh, and then the, the owner said, hey, I want you to start you know, um, teaching classes for me. Yeah. And I said, okay. So I got like a, a weekend cheap ass uh, <laughs> personal training certification. And uh, I started uh, coaching these classes, which is pretty much um, it's pretty much just soccer moms from this local town. And yeah. then I hammered them women, man. I had them, you know, running <laughs> ditches and, and logging, you know, and flipping tires and throwing logs and uh, doing, uh, you know, uh, suicide sprints. And, and anyway, <clears throat> they loved it. And uh, and then so as it's, uh, I sold my company there. My first business, I didn't know what I was going to do. And so I kind of bounced around, lost for six months. But I said, hell, you know, I kind of like this uh this fitness thing by then i had got my uh received my uh cscs the strength and conditioning association mm-hmm. and my small town is near uh, jackson wyoming and, and jackson is uh a really uh incredible place that because of the tetons the tetons rise right up from the valley floor and what that means is that it's an incredible training ground for american alpinists and backcountry and free skiers mm-hmm. and um i came up to jackson i started a uh, mountain athlete and I just yeah. kind of had a gym. I, I'm not a great uh, mountain athlete myself, um, but I decided I wanted to train with uh, mountain guides and skiers and stuff like that. And that's what I started doing. And uh, um, none of that, there's really no tradition in in uh, any of the mountain sports for any type of uh, gym-based or any real strong strength conditioning. So I quickly learned I had to start developing that on my own. And that's what yeah. I kind of started. And then this was, uh, I started like in... Uh, Late 2007, 2009, Obama started the Afghan surge. And so mm-hmm. I started emails from, uh, we, I started putting, uh, you know, my, our training sessions up online. And I started getting emails from guys downrange getting their asses smoked on foot patrols. And yeah. They said, we need, we need to start training for Afghanistan, you know, mountainous conditions. And so I built the Afghanistan pre-deployment training plan based on what I had learned working with uh, mountain athletes in Jackson. And mm. uh, um, gave that away to anybody who asked for it. You know, we had like yeah. over, over a dozen battalion commanders, used for the entire battalions and stuff. And uh, and that kind of led to requests for more and more plans. And then the police and law enforcement guys found me, and they started wanting their own stuff. And then fire rescue guys found me and started wanting their own stuff. And and so it's kind of developed into all types of tactical athletes. Um, and uh, over the years, we've just I think I counted a couple weeks ago. We have like over 450, you know, individual training plans on on the website right now for for different specific uh, for base fitness, I call it, and then for specific events that we program for, and also to improve different fitness attributes. And what's mm-hmm. interesting about our stuff is uh, my stuff is uh, it's all kind of built from the ground up. We kind of start with the outside fitness demands of whatever the job or the sport is, and then I all the, the work that we've done, the research we've done all the years to develop this programming. And we're coming up on our 17th or 18th year, which is a long time in any small business, but especially for, you know, business in the fitness industry, there's so much competition, you know. Um, yeah. I, I've got the government competing with me, and it seems like every ex-Navy SEAL or Delta guy has their own gym. And uh, <laughs> so yeah. we're still around, and we're still, uh, you know, we're still uh, – having guys go to selections and be successful and uh, climb, you know, Everest and Denali and uh, 
win championships in other areas. And um, I'm really proud of the work that we've done. And we're, we're continuously improving. We're, you know, we're, uh, we're running two or three different uh, research projects right now to improve our programming. Um, oh, nice. I got off the phone with Garmin today. We're going to do, uh, we're going to use some, uh, buy some Garmin uh, watches and we're going to put them on some law enforcement officers to take a look at the, their stress over a couple of weeks. Mm. Some patrol officers, and so we're a really exciting time for us. Actually, it's, it's always moving and moving ahead. That'd be really cool to look at the specifics and metrics of those, or as far as like how much they're moving a day, and just like you said, with the stress and stuff like that. So you can get kind of a total package with sleep and all that kind of stuff too. Is that stuff you guys are looking into, or? Yeah, you know, I I uh, with this unit, this is what we're going to try to do. I, I had taught a, a programming course in Boise, Idaho, um, several years ago, um, some uh, local law enforcement guys brought me in there. And um, one of, I never forget this after I was leaving, one of the guys said, hey, you know, I'm a patrol guy and, and uh, we, we get like four days on and three days off, four tens or something. And he mm-hmm. said, you know, when you get off duty, it's not like we relax all of a sudden. It takes us a while to wind down. And then yeah. he said, well, when we're going back on duty, it's not like we wake up and, you know, we start spooling up for it. So right. our, actual, our actual downtime is not three days. And I was like, well, how can we study that? Mm. And um, I've kind of had that in the back of my head for so long. <clears throat> and um, there have been other studies on stress for police uh, patrol guys before, but it's always been survey-based. In other words, they'd ask them a question every day. How do you feel today? How much, you know what I mean? But that's yeah. you know, subjective. Um, and there's yep. been a, a similar study with uh, um, wearable before, with special forces guys, they use these things called Zephyr bioharnesses. We actually purchased mm. some of those. We're using some other stuff, and they were just quirky and geeky, and like this harness. It was just terrible. But yeah. now, you know, I I purchased one of these uh, Garmin Instinct watches myself, and the thing's pretty damn accurate. It does HRV mm-hmm. or you know, a heart rate variability for stress. It keeps track of your sleep, counts your steps. And I just got the phone with Garmin today, and they'll they'll set us up so that um, these guys will upload their data, and we'll be able to look at their data. So we're going to look, I don't know for sure how long we look, maybe two or three weeks and just kind of get an idea of, you know, just pretty much a snapshot of what their life is like. And hopefully we'll be able to see some things in terms of, you know, wellness for law enforcement officers. Most of my work over the years has been with, you know, military guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, uh, guys who are on the front edge of the, the law enforcement, you know, they, they're deployed all the time. <laughs> they never right. know. You know, and I think there's a stress that, the, you know, back in garrison or back, you know, from home, military guys don't don't have to have that fear every day, you know, and uh, like law right. enforcement guys do. And so I think it's a different animal and uh, underappreciated and, uh, you know, that there's lots of there's lots of advantages guys in military don't don't realize, you know, like time on duty to train. We just mm-hmm. uh, partnered with a facility, a new facility that's coming on in uh, in Boise, and I just hired a coach and she's working there now. Um but uh, you know that, uh, and then we're going to do this with uh, hopefully some officers in Boise. And uh, I, I was talking to an officer just the other day when we were setting this up. And you know they don't get time on duty to train. They don't get any money. Right. To train, you know, so they're working ten-hour days. They got to find some time in there to train along with their family. You know, everything else. There's some. They you know they have one central gym that's kind of you know it's not like they have a <laughs> gym all over the city. Anyway, there's right. real disadvantages for law enforcement. I've always they've been an underserved when it comes to fitness and wellness underserved community for sure. Nice. So you, you hit on some points there that I want to address later. Um, but I know I, I spoke with uh, Sergeant Brian uh, briefly earlier today 
Um, and first off, you were talking earlier about handing out those programs. I was one of those units that received that. And uh, there's a lot of NCOs and officers out there uh, that owe you a huge high five because, you know, they assign, you know, PT in the morning and stuff like that. And so they showed up with this badass PT plan that was well thought out, uh, that was, you know, specific to uh, the mission. So like kudos for that. That was actually a, a huge thing. And it definitely uh, was used up here at JBLM uh, like crazy. But uh, on that uh, same topic, um, when I was talking with Caleb, um, we had mentioned that like, how, how do you, uh, like coaching wise, what kind of, cause these templates and stuff like that, um, they're awesome. And they're, but you, there's so many variables, especially like you were talking about with law enforcement, it's kind of the same here in the guard where you got guys that are in law enforcement or in the fire department, or they work a construction job, or maybe they don't do any of those physical things. They're sitting behind a computer, uh, you know, working out their fingers or whatever which carries its own level of stress right and then whatever home life and then their age and training experience and injuries maybe they were prior service and they have a, a butt ton of injuries um is there anything you do specifically or advice that you could give like uh, actually could i turn it over to caleb you probably have some better uh insight on that on more particular questions yeah i'm uh I guess to like summarize it, right? Um, from we we just got back what a little over a year ago, sir, from yep. uh, from Poland. Yep. And uh, why we were there, right? It, even as a National Guard unit, it was very structured. We had some equipment available to us, right? Uh, so the ability to program and design for you know, like not only my platoon but the individuals that came up to me and asked for like specific coaching to meet specific goals, whether it was long distance rucking or uh, like lose body fat or just be able to meet their operational goal right that's like the picture perfect world that we want um but i'm wondering what kind of like pitfalls that you you come across um whether it's from the coaching aspect or from the tactical athletes perspective uh where they're not able to like either reach or attain those goals uh, be it you know they're like leos right who are working 10 to 12 to 16 hours a day and then having to find their own personal time to work out because they they just either don't have the equipment available or they don't have the time or you know like sleep being one of the biggest factors i think even the military comes across where you know if you're not getting x amount of sleep you're not able to express x amount of um work because you're just not recovered so i'm, I'm just yeah, curious yeah. like what sort of like pitfalls do you come across you know, I could like my answer, but the pitfall is that you think you're special, right? Mm -hmm. And that, that's the pitfall. You know, if you're a LEO and you, you know, you're working 10 hour days or whatever, that dude who wants to take a gun from you and wrestle you down and shoot you in the head, he doesn't care, right? So you have a professional responsibility, not only to yourself, but to your family to stay fit. So you got to find the time. And generally that means getting up early and working out before you go to work. Because if you try to do it after you go to work, something's going to get in the way. And that's mm -hmm. just it. If you're if your uh, um, uh, department doesn't give you time on duty to train, you don't get time on duty to train. You got to take it out of your day. Nobody is mm -hmm. special. Nobody's special, right? That's the same for every. Uh, um, I think I think that's that's the, the we the MTI programming is not designed for the needs of you. I don't care about the individual athlete. It, even even in my you know gym here. In, 
in Jackson working with individual, uh, you know, skiers and stuff. You know, hey, the fitness demands of patrol work for a law enforcement officer are the same for everybody. It doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man or 55 or 25 or, you know what I mean? It's the same. Yeah. It's dangerous. And so we designed programming for the fitness demands of the event, just like that mm -hmm. Afghanistan training plan, you know, hiking uphill and coming downhill under load. And so yep. that's why we call them leg blasters and step ups. All of MTI programming is just like that. So I think that the, the pitfall that you're describing is the pitfall that you think you're special and you have all these things in the way. The fact is, if you're a tactical athlete, you can get killed doing your job. And fitness is armor. It can keep you alive and the people around you alive. That's all mm -hmm. there is. And so if, uh, you know, if your unit doesn't do it for you, whatever, so many, it's easy to find excuses. It's more difficult to, you know, cut your sleep down to six hours a night and get your ass up and train. That's just the way it is. I wish I had a better answer for you, but that's <laughs> yeah. no, I thought that nobody that's a great is, answer. It's the same answer. Nobody, I nobody is, nobody is special. I mean, I get that all the time. I, you know, guys, you know, I, I, I when I first started uh, coaching, I had to do a little bit of personal training and I hated it. I will never personal train again, you know, because for people who, who want personal training think they're special and they're not special. You know, there's nothing special. I mean, the, the MTI programming is effective because it's direct and clear and simple. There's no quirks. There's no shortcuts. There's no gimmicks to it. We've cut all that shit out. I mean, if our stuff doesn't work, I want to be in business. It has to work. And if it doesn't work in the gym. It has to work for outside performance. So if I'm developing a training plan for guys to, you know, go to uh, Afghanistan, they can't hike the first hill and be gassed, right? <laughs> you got to be able to hike that hill. And so they did thousands of step-ups, which is pure drudgery to get ready for it. And it's drudgery. It's not, you know, it's not for your entertainment. Sometimes they'll get emails from guys. They'll say, hey, you know, I'm sick of doing the same thing every Wednesday. I'm like, well, that's, that's what your event's going to be. You know, you want to go backcountry hunting? It's an endurance event of hiking up and downhill. <laughs> You're going to be doing that every day for two weeks and you don't want to do it now? right there's this so that that's that's my answer is that you're not special um you can get killed doing a job you can get other guys killed if you're not fit for your job and uh mm. your, uh, your colleagues and so they can be a professional about your fitness not everybody comes most of the people who come to mti graduate from something else right they, they come here from something else and generally I mean, the, the fitness industry is full. I mean, I tell my coaches and people I work with all the time that there's this incredible fine line in the fitness industry where of douchebaggery, right? It's really easy to become a douchebag. Mm. Number one, you know, work out without your shirt on. <laughs> Number two, start selling supplements. Number three, you know, you, you know what they, you know them all, right? Work out on a yeah. tight t-shirt, you know, all that crap. It's all mm. crap. It's no shortcut. I mean, fitness is the easiest thing in the world, but it, I mean, it's the simplest thing in the world, but it's not easy. You know, professional mm -hmm. fitness is hard work and it's just, you know, it's just keep grinding. That's all there is to it. So uh, obviously if I'm, uh, first off, that was really good to hear, um, especially kind of in this world where we're dealing with stuff with the ACFT, for instance, and we've gone through like the, I don't know what process of standard changing, events changing, all the, all the stuff. And I've always kind of been of the mind like, hey, the, the weight is the weight uh, and the reps are the reps. And if we don't have a standard for like combat arms, then, you know, what, what are we really even doing this test for? You know, if there's not standards, what's what's the reason? So I completely get what you're saying. That was 
Uh, very well put. Um, I, I, I like that a lot. Let me, let me just hold on that, on that for, for a second here. Mm -hmm. The ACFT is its, is its own um, event that is top down, bureaucratically driven, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. So it's something you have to train for. That doesn't mean necessarily the ACFT is going to get you ready for a combat deployment to Poland if Russia invades, right? Because right. there's no rucking in the ACFT. You better have your guys rucking. Yeah. Right? So there's there's different things there. As a, as a leader in the military with guys underneath you, your job is to get them ready for the real thing. And so, yeah. you know, you don't want to be trained for the ACFT all the damn time. Right. right. The ACFT, the six weeks before the ACFT, once it's over, you go back to training for your job. Mm -hmm. You're not going to the reality is the ACFT. Believe me, <laughs> that's just the way. It oh, is. yeah. So no. there's something that I, I you know, like because I teach the master fitness course, uh, not just uh, the master fitness trainer for our battalion, but I teach people how to like go and be master fitness trainers for the army. And uh, more often than not, right, they'll they'll come, they'll build this program for me to evaluate. And they're like, yeah, the goal here is that uh, they'll pass the ACFT. And it's like, stop, stop, right? Mm -hmm. Everything that we do as master fitness trainers, right, should be, can we accomplish our operational goal? And through like good program design, like systematic and gradual progression, attacking this smartly, right? The byproduct of being able to accomplish this, right? Meet our operational goal. The byproduct would be that you're able to seamlessly and, and effortlessly um, accomplish the ACFT as a whole, right? Like if you're building a good program and it's well-rounded, then the ACFT that's not fair to the realities of what it's like when your personal evaluation and career stuff is based on your ACFT score. So right, in a, in a great world, you could have a great um, multimodal tactical fitness uh, program for infantry guys and will cover all they need for downrange, right? But you know what? I think if I was to do a study of the ball throw in the ACFT, I've never done this. I bet you hand size has a hell of a lot to do with how far people throw that ball because guys mm -hmm. with smaller hands aren't going to be able to grip the ball as good as you see what I mean. So there's no yeah. necessary correlation. But if you don't throw the ball far or whatever and get your, then you might get get hurt, you know, especially for an officer on your damn OER. So yeah, in a perfect world, that's it. But it's not a perfect world. And the fact is to be smart. You have a high jeopardy fitness assessment like that, drop out of your regular training, trade for that event assessment, and then go back to your regular training. You got to play mm -hmm. the game. So yeah, an ideal world, like you're describing this right, but uh, this is not an ideal world. I think what you're hearing from guys want to be ready for the ACFTs because it reflects the reality of, you know, the, the jeopardy and where everything is pushed to pushed on that assessment. But mm -hmm. I mean, how many, the fact is, it's not like the ACFT comes up as a surprise, right? Everybody knows what right. it's so it's not a surprise. So you know it's mm -hmm. coming, train for it specifically, and then go back to doing the other stuff. But train for it specifically, treat it, you know, give it the attention it deserves because of the realities of career stuff. I don't know if I answered your question. I didn't mean to cut you off, but <laughs> <laughs> the, the one thing that is the one thing in, in terms of in terms of tactical athlete training is is the burden of constant fitness. I don't know if you've had me read my thing about that, but Hmm. You know, that gladly you can never really afford to be out of out of shape and so you can't do the same thing all the time or else you're not only do you plateau fitness wise you know you don't keep gaining but it'll get stale and so as i think about it we have fitness demands for 
different jobs of tactical athletes, but for an infantry guy, you know, it's a relative strength, strength per body weight, um, chassis integrity, which is functional core stuff is what I call it. Um, military endurance, running and rucking, um, work capacity, primarily sprint based work capacity and um, a little bit of tactical agility. So in our, pro our base fitness programming, we have two types of programming, base fitness, which is for your day-to-day -day job, and then event-specific stuff, like for the ACFT. In our base mm -hmm. fitness programming, I'll take, and every, every base, base fitness program will attack each of those elements of fitness, but in different ways. For example, maybe on one cycle, we'll train strength using barbells. The next cycle, we'll train strength using bodyweight stuff. The next cycle, we'll train strength using dumbbells. As long as we're training relative strength, we're still giving some variety in there for the athlete. So the burden of constant fitness is addressed. It gives them something else to, to think about. Um, I think I think that's different, but that's just the, the idea in terms of, you know, those two types of, of programming, base fitness and then event-specific or sport-specific stuff, event-specific for the military. And those events can not only be a PFT, but also a selection, a SEER course, airborne school, a deployment, urban, we have an urban uh, combat deployment training plan. So all those types of things. I'm sorry for cutting you off again. <laughs> Can we freeze? I'm good. Any more questions? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay, sweet. Uh, yeah, so uh, rucking, uh, we, we had touched on that and I have a lot of questions about that because um i've spent the last almost year now not in a i went from been in the infantry my whole life to now i am you know solely in recruiting and retention and that, which garners a whole bunch of not cool things that happen other than you know your fitness is your like you said it's that's the burden you must bear and you need to make sure you're where you need to be and so rucking has somewhat been on a on the back burner and I'm like looking at, you know, my future, if I'm going to, you know, end up going back to the line or wherever it is that I go, um, I'm going to do a mountain warfare course coming up in a couple of months. So I strapped the ruck on and started, you know, doing it. And once you start researching all that, um, you get in there and you're like, hey, there's so many different techniques. And I mean, I've, you know, gone through ranger school past that. And when I was younger, I didn't have that much of an issue with rucking. It was just something I did and didn't have any issues running you know, 12 miles in under two hours and 30 minutes was not a big deal. And now that I'm older and now that there's all these other factors, you know, uh, not being special, of course, uh, I realized that I have to put in a lot more work to maintain that. Now, there's some folks that'll say, hey, you just need to do because uh, if you're running and you're doing your um, strength training as well and trying to build that work capacity, rucking once a week is is enough. And then there's some people it's like you do this twice a week and, you know, don't go too heavy or, I mean, what is your exact, if you were to say, Hey, a guy needs to get in a rucking shape to be able to do the 12 miles in under three hours, uh, easily, um, what, uh, and by easily, I mean, completion at the end, they're not dead. Um, what would be your biggest like rocks in that, uh, rucksack to unpack? Well, the, the best way to improve rucking is to ruck. Right. Yep. So even the strength component, right, is, is to ruck because rucking is a different type of strength. And what, it, mm -hmm. what you're talking about is how do you progress? How do you build that person to up to do that if they haven't been rucking? So mm -hmm. there's, there's two elements to this event. The load, how much is the load? 
how much is it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So 45 pounds is, okay. is I think 35 is for like the EIB standard, but then you got to have your water and you have your other stuff. So I'd say about 45 pounds is probably. Right. Uh, so, so there's two elements to this. The, the, well, three elements, the road, the load, the distance and the time. Mm-hmm. And so I generally find it's better to um, tr- um, progress one thing at a time. Mm. So in this case, um, I would probably progress the distance. Okay. And, and I would say you're going to do the same, the same load and the same pace, and you're going to increase the distance over time. So um, in other words, maybe start at three miles at whatever, 15 minute miles, you got to make it, you know, <laughs> do that yeah. two or three times and go to four miles to five miles and get up to 12. And once you get up to 12, you know, start speeding it up. Okay. I think there was a question that you had, you know, um, I, it's kind of interesting. I just took a look at the new, you guys think the ACFT is bad. You should see what they do in Air Force Special Forces Special mm. Tactics in terms of their <laughs> PFTs. Oh my God, so many changes. Yeah. And the latest one is like, you know, they start out with a three mile ruck, I think, 45 pounds, they can't run. Because, you know, oh. it, you think it's bad to run. So that's like a pass fail event, pretty slow. And, uh, you know, in my, and uh, for, for our ranger plan, I recommend guys run. Uh, because, yeah. uh, you know, you see the ruck at the end of ranger, at the end of rap week at ranger school, there's many guys that sit in there, hey, I was smoking the ruck, you know, on my training. At the end of that week, I barely passed. You better know how to run to make it standard. You know what I mean? Right. Five miles, 40 minutes. Yeah. Here's the deal. What, running with heavy weight on your back is not good for you. It's not good for your knees. It's not good for your legs. It's not good for your low back. Mm. I'll tell you what, you, and the Coast Guard used to say, choose your rate, choose your fate. If you didn't want to be in the engine room, don't become you know, an engineer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know what also isn't good for you? Uh, getting shot in the back uh, because you're too slow. Or, you know, um, uh, getting kicked out of ranger school rap week because you come in at, you know, three hours and one second rather than three hours. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So choose your rate, choose your fate. So, yeah, that's, you know, I, I get these questions all the time. You know, my first sergeant says it's not good to run or do whatever. I mean, you got to make the time. The standard is a standard. And that's just part of being in the military. And it's not mm-hmm. like the loads have gotten wider, right? <laughs> they keep making it heavier, um, you know, for Christ's sake. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, that the loads you carry are just incredible. There's no way to, there's just no way to move fast with 100 pounds in your back, period. And it's not, no. it's not right? And yeah. uh, we, you know, all the research, we, we've done lots of research on rugging. And uh, I don't know, I mean, in general, you know, <laughs> It's just like running. Shorter steps makes you faster. Shorter, more rapid steps makes you faster. And you can shuffle mm-hmm. if you can, but you better be ready to run. And I've, I've seen guys run for, I've, I've seen guys do three miles with their uh, 45 pounds on their back at eight minute miles. I mean, they're, they're incredibly, I can't, I can't believe it. They're small guys. I mean, they're just some freaks out there. Generally, yeah. the guys uh, who are stronger and bigger, who are bigger, generally the guys who are bigger ruck faster. And the reason is, you know, if I'm 150 pounds and you're 200 pounds and we're both rocking with 50 pounds, I'm rocking with 30% of my body weight and you're working with 25% of yours, right? So that's right. just the way it is. That's how come women have so much, so many problems with this. They're just lighter. You mm-hmm. know, so uh, um, yeah, that would be a really simple way to progress it. Or you could just bite the bullet and do 12 miles and suffer and then, you know, do intervals. Like I, I had to plan out to do it. 
That's another way because part of the, part of the programming is to get your mind. You know what I mean? Yes. If you, out, if you go out and walk five miles and it's terrible, you go out two days later and do it. It won't be as bad because mm. you're you know what to expect. You're mentally more you know ready for it. So there's there's some other elements to it too. But uh, yeah, there's no shortcut. That's but in general, it's it's simpler and more effective to progress one thing at a time. So in that case, you got those three elements. Keep the load the same. Keep the base the same, and build them all. That's the simplest way to do it. Yeah. Generally, now there's generally there's a progressions. I'm trying to do like each 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 distance. I probably do two or three times. You know, if it's you know if okay. it's easy the second time, go to the next distance. You know, if it's not go no more than three times, then you know add up the next difference. In general, they say endurance program you're not supposed to increase the you know, the distance more than twenty percent a, a a week or whatever. But we've done it more. Mm. You just got to work at the reality of how much time you have. Right. You know, get ready for the event. You know, one thing you don't want to do is get to the event and not have done a 12 mile ruck. You want to have exactly. done that under time before you get there. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the worst thing that I, as a strength and condition coach, can do is send my athletes into something and have them go, This is nothing like it felt like during training. Right. No, we don't want to do that. <laughs> we want them to know what it feels like. Because mentally knowing what it feels like will will help you get through it, right? Yeah, that's awesome. So just a little recap, a little back brief. Uh, you're saying on the distance, you said uh, try to do that distance about two times, no more than three times. And that next jump should be no more than 20% uh, of like the, the distance you just did. So if you did 10 miles, you should add about two miles. You know, like that's kind of what you're saying. In general, yeah, but it, it kind of depends on how much time you have to train. If you have enough time to do that, mm -hmm. so, um, so if you only have a month, you, you may you may need to jump it more. And you might try that first three miles and it's easy. Then jump to six miles and start at six. Do you see what I mean? It kind yeah. of depends on how much time you have before you train there. But you definitely want to be able to be firmly under the standard and know what the distance feels like before you get to the event. Because there's right. things that are going to happen in the event. It may be too hot. It may be colder. You know, the cadre may do a smoke session with you just to dick you, you know, the, yeah. the, the, right before it. So you mm -hmm. want to be comfortable with it. And you want to know what it feels like to kind of suffer and finish. Yeah. Now, so it does get kind of wonky. We talked, there's some those variables again with, uh, time to train, uh, which I think we've hit a bunch. And then the point you're kind of hitting on now, which I, I really like is kind of optimization of training for like the specific goal. You'd also mentioned attributes. So when you try to like hone in on these attributes, obviously the specificity of the training has to uh, be tailored to that. Um, now, uh, when people do end up with injuries and stuff like that as they're training, uh, what is the best way that you address that? I guess it's very specific to the injuries. It's kind of like a really open-ended question, but um, maybe just some examples or like something that you specifically that really stuck out to you um, so that get, what guys don't get down or demoralized, how they can continue to push forward. Well, I expect athletes to train when they're injured, but not train when they're hurt. Okay. And so the difference is that you train when you're injured, it's not making it worse. You train mm -hmm. hurt is making it worse. So that's that's yeah. the first thing you do. And then after that, it's just pretty much common sense, right? So right. maybe maybe you can't ruck with the full 45 pounds. Maybe you need to drop to 25 pounds, but you can still ruck, you know, mm -hmm. or, or whatever. 
you know, the, uh, the goal is to get you prepared for the event and dealing with setbacks like that is, is just part of it. So, um, you can train around the injury sometimes you can, you know, for example, you know, maybe you got to take a break from rucking, you know, but we can still do the next best thing, which is probably spinning on a bike under load. So you don't load your back, you know, um, okay. um, it has nothing. Here's the, here's the, here's the problem with all types of training is that doing something else to train for, let's say your train, your event is, uh, exercise a, you're trying to do exercise B to train for that exercise a at some point, probably early on after a while you're training exercise B, you just keep getting better at exercise B and it's not transferring to exercise a, you know what I mean? Right. So that means like you're, if you're spinning a bike to train for rucking at some point, there may be some transfer, but at some point, uh, you're gonna, um, the trans, you're just going to get better riding a bike. So you mm -hmm. have to be careful with that. Yeah. It's always better to do the event. <laughs> it's always better to do the act. Right. You, yeah. you can't, like, I can't risk it. I can't. Mm -hmm. I'm dealing with athletes who either are going to, you know, their, their lives are, you know, uh, can be in danger if they're not fit or they don't get selected. You know, I can't risk it, man. So if the, if they're going to Delta selection, they're going to be lots of rucking. You know what I mean? That's all there is to it. So uh, I can't risk it. And that's just the way, the best way to prepare. Now we, we have done some, uh, we've done quite a, quite a few studies in trying to take a look at how much transfer is there. Like one time I heard anecdotally that spinning or cycling transferred to upping, uh, to hiking uphill under load. So we actually hmm. studied it. There was really little, there wasn't a whole lot of transfer. You know, we've done it. We've done a study on rowing to running and there was a little bit of transfer, but running was better. You know, it's, it's always worked out that way. Mm -hmm. And we, I start, we started doing some work. In fact, we're doing a, a study right now. It should be done on sled pulling to hiking uphill under load. Um, because it's kind of interesting when you're uh, dragging a sled, especially with the weight around your shoulders, it's kind of like walking uphill. I've done this on my own. Um, as I've gotten older, I, uh, I can still go uphill fine, but coming down just kills my knees. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and, uh, and I'm getting more and more arthritis. Um, so I actually have been doing a lot of sled and sandbag drags to get ready for hiking uphill for hunting season and just my life here in Wyoming. So, uh, but, uh, we were, so that there, there may be some transfer, but by far best would be hiking up on hill under load. So that's another idea that there's no shortcuts, right? There's no tricks. There's no, there's no fucking hacks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's got to do the event. I wish I could tell you different. And, and in terms of guys that are injured, there's, yeah, there's no, there's no hacks. There's no tricks, you know, um, generally uh, uh, when we've had injured athletes, especially if they're motivated, you got to keep them doing something right. because, it, because it'll, it'll hurt them mentally if they're not doing something. So we would bring guys in and they train over the rest of the group. And, you know, if they had an injured arm, they do, you know, one arm bench presses instead of barbell bench presses, you know, they had, uh, I had guys, you know, doing, cleans on a bench you know swings on a bench i had one guy who was so athletic he could actually do a power clean with one leg because his knee was messed up you know what i mean <laughs> um so uh, uh but uh, keep them working hard even if it isn't directly transferable uh, for guys who are motivated um is good for them mentally yeah now you're hitting on a, a really good point here and uh caleb and i spoke about this too and the whole compliance piece of this like uh we're kind of hitting on your programs are designed for like 
people that are motivated and are go-getters. So you may not have this as much, but there's a lot of people out there that they need to, like you said, they have high risk things like passing the ACFT or doing well on the ACFT or completing this task or whatever. Um, is there anything you've had to implement or like a tip or a trick other than just like a gut check with them to be like, hey, your compliance uh, to maintain this program needs to be like kept up. Like, is there any tools in your tool bag for that or advice you have? Well, I want to I want to call it a tool, but there is a, a fairly unique element of MTI programming that we've implemented for a long time. Mm -hmm. and, and it's like our ACFT plan or our APFT plan or most most of our programming actually. Not all of our base fitness programming, but most of our um, event-specific programming, it starts with a an assessment. And the follow-on mm -hmm. programming is based on the assessment results, right? Okay. So if, the, if the assessment, you know, if part of the assessment is a two-minute push-ups, for example, one of these push-ups, and you score 70 and I score 50, the follow-on programming, you know, I'm not doing as many reps per set as you are because I didn't score as many. So the programming automatically scales to my incoming fitness and it, so it improves. So that's, that's not, I want to call that a trick. That's just smart friggin' programming. Right. So that way you can have somebody who's really unfit training right next to somebody who is really fit. And uh, they're all on the same interval. If the unfit guy is doing, you know, what he can or she can based on their incoming results. In other words, they're both being pushed uh, based on the incoming results. So not everybody's doing sets of 10 push-ups, you know, as part of the programming. One guy might be doing sets of 15. One guy might be doing set of, sets of three, but they're all developing. So, yeah, you can't expect somebody who is not as fit to um, conform to, um, you know, what everybody else is doing because it just doesn't work that way. Um, mm -hmm. The only, yeah, everybody loses because the guy who's more fit, the guy could be doing 15 push-ups a set. If he's only doing 10, he's not getting anything out of it. Do you see what I mean? Right. So, this, so that is something that we implement a lot. And it's been an incredible, incredible tool for us. Um, and, it's, mm -hmm. and it's a way that we can, we don't, we don't do individual training, right? But we kind of do <laughs> because the programming skills and incoming fitness. Um, most of our programming does that. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> Thank you for hitting on that. I know we kind of sat around the like excuses of why people can't do the stuff they're supposed to. The assessment thing makes a whole bunch of sense in smart programming. Uh, kind of on that token, I've heard a lot, you know, people, they really want to train in the gym and they want to get their lifts up or they have some other type of goal, but then they have like cardiovascular goals as well as running or rucking or whatnot. Uh, I've kind of heard that people don't like chasing two rabbits essentially is very difficult sometimes. I know you, you may or may not have heard that, you know, chasing strength and cardio stuff is your kind of uh, philosophy on that. You know, do you drop down the, the lifting a little bit into like kind of a maintenance phase and then hit the work capacity and endurance stuff and then bring that once that's where it needs to be, maintain that, pick up the strength. Like how do you look at that? Well, you're right. I mean, if you, uh, for example, this research has shown that endurance uh, programming the same time as you're training max effort strength negatively affects the max effort strength gains. Um, the opposite has not been found to you. In, in other words, uh, training max effort strength while you're endurance programming doesn't necessarily hurt your endurance gains. But mm -hmm. you're right. If you want to uh, um, really get uh, strong or something, you should just focus on lifting. It's not only a matter of 
um, your part of it is training time, how much time you have to train, but also mm -hmm. is fatigue, right? So if you're doing, if you're trying to get, you know, your increase your back squat and you're out there running 800 uh, meter uh, sprints, your legs are going to be fatigued for your back squat work. Do you see what I mean? It's just common sense. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, uh, I don't work with um, um, uh, competing Olympic weightlifters or powerlifters, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's a little bit different. I worked with most of the people I work with are, um, you know, tactical or mountain athletes who have a broad range of fitness demands. And so we, we train them all concurrently. And we have what is really unique about MTI is we have standards, right? We have standards that we train for, we have tests. So we have a relative strength standard. So yeah. um, a relative strength standard, and that's, that's strength per body weight. And I think that's more important for mountain and tactical athletes than it is yeah. than a max ever strength standard, right? And so in our strength standards, our relative strength standards are not super extreme. Any, you know, any Olympic weightlifter or powerlifter should be able to smoke these standards. You know, it's like right. uh, uh, 1.5 times the weight in, in uh, a bench press and front squat, for example, is are two standards that we kind of have, which aren't, which isn't great. Um, and you can increase your, your relative strength, not only by increasing more weight, but also by cutting fat, right. Or getting lighter. Yeah. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> right. We also have, you know, a standards for work capacity and standards for endurance. Another one are high, but altogether you're a pretty well-rounded athlete. If you're able to meet all these different standards. Um, so yeah, the, you're right. I mean, the best way to, you know, to train, is for one thing at a time but if you're training only for endurance your strength's going to drop it's going to keep dropping right and and so we try to train everything at the same time and ideally the whole boat is rising up as they get to a certain level now our our it's not like you're going to keep getting more and more fit forever right you're going to plateau at some point just based on not only the programming but your genetic um gifts that you've been given by your parents some mm -hmm. guys are and some guys aren't um, right but and uh, um, I know I mean, military guys in the army and Marines and stuff, they're not world-class athletes. If they're world-class athletes, they would be in the Olympics or, you know, playing in the NFL. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> they like to think they're world-class athletes, but they really aren't. I've seen those guys <laughs> and they don't do that. Uh, but, uh, um, uh, but they do have, you know, definitely fitness demands and unique set of fitness demands. What's neat about being, you know, an NFL play lasts an average of 40 seconds. That's mm -hmm. it. And, uh, and I think, uh, you know, to get 30, I think 30 to 40 offensive plays a game. So for offensive linemen, you can automatically see exactly what the fitness demand is. You're right. Running an Olympic marathon, you know exactly how far it is. It's not the same. You can go out on, you know, a patrol in Poland that's, uh, you know, your Humvees. She hits the fan. You're out there for two frigging days. You know what I mean? Right. So, Conflicted. So it's totally different. It's just totally different uh, level of fitness that we got to prepare for. And it's much more broad. Uh, it's it's unique, but it's also much more broad. We, we can't get as focused. So, and, you know, so a, a guy training NFL players has a much more narrow fitness man that the coach has to program for. I don't know if I answered your question or not, but I hope I did. Oh yeah, that was very well said. I mean, it was, it was good to see because obviously it's not optimal if you want strength gains, but you also want these endurance things, like you got to look, you have to ha take a realistic approach to your job. And I think that's what you're saying is like, what do you need for your job? What's the the goal? And th this is, I, 
I completely agree. It was very well said. So now, now as a, you know, if now as a tactical athlete with the burden of constant fitness, if you're in garrison or, or like you at a recruiting, you know, position for a couple of years, hell yeah, mm-hmm. you could drop out of, you know, training for your job and maybe train to run an ultra marathon. Mm-hmm. If you have time, you know, you're not going to be going back, you know, deployed or whatever, or you can say, Hey, I want to get as strong as I can, you know, yeah. and, and I want to, you know, you know, power lift or Olympic weight lift. It's okay. To, it's okay to, uh, I don't think law enforcement athletes can do that as much, but military right. athletes, they, they can drop out of those, you know, if you're going to school or something like that, it's okay to do that. It can just kind of adds to, it helps you address the burden of constant fitness. And sometimes it's really kind of fun to focus just on one thing, you know, mm-hmm. even I get bored, you know, like I haven't done a lot of barbell lifting for several years, for a couple of years. I just uh, kind of got over the barbell. I spent so much time in the gym. <laughs> been doing a lot of sandbox yeah. stuff. I just started living the barbell again. I like, other than my joints are like, this is kind of fun. I forget how much fun this was. So um, <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, there's certainly opportunity to, to focus on stuff. And when you do focus on one element like that, it's amazing how far you can go and the changes that occur. There's a lot of power and focus. Oh yeah, for sure. <clears throat> now I noticed there's uh, you guys have, I've done a lot of research uh, the last couple of weeks coming into this, just kind of checking stuff out. I noticed you guys also have an app, which is really cool. Um, I know a lot, a lot of people like the analog notes and having paper in front of them, um, the development of that. And then also you guys have, Hey, you don't know what a, a Scotty Bob or a, a step up is like something simple. You guys have the the library and catalog of that. That's just like, just want to say kudos on that. That's really cool that, uh, you guys are evolving with all that. And, uh, the app is, seems to be super cool. So, um, what did it take to like get all that developed out and all that stuff? Or did you just find a developer and make it happen? Or was that, uh, something that was, that you guys were planning on doing or yeah we've had an app for for several years and uh um mainly the biggest deal for me in our in our app is to fight the athletes who want to add more and more functionality to it <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> nice because you know they wanted to you know link up to strava or do this or that or be able to record their you know and all this stuff and uh you know, there's a reason most of our pictures are black and white and uh, our programming is fairly simple. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of found that, uh, you know, people ask me, you know, how can I record my stuff? I said, well, I, I just use a pencil and the paper and it's the most effective. You never lose yes. it. Right? And uh, yeah. Um, uh, and uh, so, yeah, that's that's been the biggest fight for me is to is to fight the, the you know, the people who want to make it more complicated um, because of what's being done, all these other apps out there. <laughs> A lot oh, of those yeah. companies aren't going to be around in 20 years like we are, right? We want, to, we want to keep it simple. The focus is on the programming. So, yeah, our, our app is, believe me, it's not uh, super whiz-bangy. It's uh, everything you need and nothing you don't. And, it, and mm-hmm. it's a fight to keep it just like that, believe me. <laughs> yeah. That's really interesting because you have been around for a long period, a long time, a lot longer than a lot of other uh, uh, people. And you're saying that like kind of like the secret sauce in that is to simply like buck the trend and be, just be basic as much as you possibly can. Well, I want to say it's, it's basic. <clears throat> I mean, the, the function reality of it is that I want to, we won't, we're not going to survive if our programming doesn't fucking work. Yeah. Right. The programming has to work and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and getting to the point where everything I say that, uh, 
We say that sophisticated design is immature. And this is true of anything, whether you're writing a novel or making a movie or whatever. When you first start something, you, all, you have too much crap in it. And my programming, when I first started, had too much crap in it. Too many different exercises. I try to do too many things at one time, yada, yada, yada. And, and over the years, we've learned to, to really focus and keep it and keep it simple and direct. And so, yeah, um, yeah, there's, uh, there's really no, you know, in this industry, I think in any industry, you know, the car you drive, you know, the clothing <laughs> you wear, you know, people are trying to, you know, want to make it more and more sophisticated and stuff. And at, at some point, it loses its functionality and it doesn't work because the more complexity put into it, the, the more opportunity you have that things go wrong, um, right? And and to get away from the focus of what works. So believe me that uh, when I say our, our programming is, is direct and simple, it's not, I guess simple isn't, it, it takes a lot of work to get to simple, a lot of work. Mm it takes a lot of work to get to simple because uh, you have to make some really, when you first start doing anything as a craftsman, I think you're not confident in what decisions you make. And the most, you always improve writing or anything by cutting stuff out. And you'll find, you know, that the best craftsmen, the best designers in the world, and I am essentially a designer of programming, right? Um, of, of, a, of something that um, gets people from one place to another. And, uh, the, the best ones get there as directly as possible. And it takes a lot to uh, a confidence and knowledge and wisdom and craftsmanship to know what is extraneous and what isn't, what is essential. And so it's just taken me years to, to get to that point now. And, and we, we're still, we're still moving there. You know, my programming, I you know we would always work on updating programs and I designed something three or four years ago. I'm like, oh my God, this is terrible. <laughs> yeah. It's nice. We're always constantly, and that's part of that's part of the craftsmanship ethic that I try to try to bring to my work. And I hmm. that's I aspire to. I don't always get there, but I always aspire to that. Well, that, that harmonizes with like you look at like Mattis would would say uh, make sure your formations are brilliant and brilliant in the basics and uh, that that got widely echoed throughout the entire military. Uh, Norm McLean, uh, author of the uh, River Runs Through It, you know, has a, his classic scene where Dad tells him to cut out half his writing. He's like, you know, it's good half as much. That makes a lot of sense. Um, how do you wrestle with that in a in an era where where everything is whiz banging, where people want to connect to, to Strava, like you know? Um, how do you sort through uh, new things that come out that are like, this could be value added um, and it could still be simple um, versus this is just a, you know, this is just like kind of the heat of the moment and, and this will go away and, and it corrupts us. Like what, what's your, what's your decision matrix there? So. Well, I kind of, I kind of fight a couple of things. Like uh, one of the things I fight is righteousness. And what that means is, is every time I've been righteous about anything in my business, but especially about programming, I, end is, I always end up eating my words. <laughs> right? Right. I remember, I remember a, a coach saying to me one time, hey, we want to try this you know, program called Super Squats where we, you know, you do 20 bad squats and I was like, oh, that's freaking stupid. Ah, God, I'm never gonna, you know, and well, by God, you know, we finally tried it and it's one of the most effective ways of gaining strength in the world, you know, and so we developed our own programming, you know, based uh, not on what that guy, well, basically what that guy did but with our own experience from our research right uh so yeah i, I have to do a couple things i have to be open-minded to this new style of training let me give you a real world example this new coach i hired 
just came from the University of Georgia and she worked with the football team there and they have this system there. I've seen a similar system in another place before. It's called the perch system and it's kind of this high falutin system where there's actually a camera on the top of the rack that measures the speed of the barbell. And mm. so their athletes will come in there and they'll do four reps and they're, they're, they're supposed to do the reps in a certain speed. And if the, and if the speed isn't within a certain range, they'll lower the weight so that it is moving fast. And somehow the idea is that the speed of the barbell uh, transfers better to somehow either strength gains or something on the field. And at first I'm like, this just sounds like a fancy system that some guy convinced a coach to do. And, you know, Notre Dame probably started doing it. So every other division one football program decided that to do, but there could be something to it. So we're freaking going to get one of these systems and put it on the barbell and, and test it with our own stuff. Right. Before mm-hmm. I will say no, you know what I mean? So that's how I do it. Brandon, I, I, I try to keep an open mind to it because I don't want to be the curmudgeon, old strength condition coach who doesn't, who doesn't think he can learn anything. I'm not that guy. I make mistakes all the time in my programming. I'll program it for myself and start doing it like, this is fucking stupid. <laughs> what did I program? <laughs> yeah. Right? Right? So, uh, so, yeah. So, it's, uh, yeah. So, that's how we do it. We generally investigate it. We buy it. We test it. And we see if it works. And a lot of times it doesn't. Right. You know, or... Or the benefit from it is can be done with something that's more simple, right? Um, you know, or 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 you know. Anyway, it's just I mean one of the one of the things I jumped on um, when I was a young coach was the FMS functional movement screen. I don't know if you heard of that, but anyway, I thought this thing was great. I went to this guy's seminar, bought all this stuff, started my these, you know, and and then I started the more I did is like, you know, this is kind of dumb. I don't see my athletes improving any. And then I took a look at closer look at the research this uh, founder had cited <laughs> and the research that they cited was a, a Marine OCS, uh, like 200 or 300, I don't know, several, a bunch of OCS guys. And uh, they did this FMS before and FMS. And then they, they found out that uh, it was a fairly, they said it was a fairly good predictor if you scored well on the screen of injury in, um, in OCS. So the idea is, oh my God, we can do this movement screen and uh, find you guys who can you know, have a higher level of being injured. But, you know, they also uh, took the uh, Marine Corps PFT the first day and it turned out that the fitness <laughs> was a much greater predictor of their injury in OCS than this fucking movement screen. Right? Right. <laughs> so the best way to keep your soldiers from being injured is to keep them fit for soldiering. Right. Understand? So if that means rucking, that means that you better have your guys rucking and don't have them go do the 12 mile ruck for the EIB or whatever without having rucked because it's just dumb. They're going to get injured. doesn't mean that rucking's bad for them. It means that they didn't train for rucking before they had to do this big event or they go to a field event, right? So the safety Nazis out there will tell you that rucking's bad for them. Well, I mean, choose your rate, choose your fate. Your soldiers are going to have to ruck and we get in a war with China or something, you have to ruck a lot. And if you're slow or rucking, you can't ruck, well, getting shot isn't good for you either, right? So um, that's just the way it is. Wish there was a better answer for you, but. No, that makes sense. I, I guess you're, you're, so your approach to balance is like, there is no balance. It's like, you just, you chose what you wanted to do. So this is what <laughs> Like, like, you know, uh, there might be people say like, uh, rucking every day blows your knees out. It's like, well, that that is the cost of being an infantryman. So is that kind of like where you're going? Yeah, it's exactly the cost of being an infantryman. <laughs> now, I mean, I think there's this idea, you know, I, I keep hearing all these, you know, retired 
if it's me and a soft guy saying, oh, you know, I'm all broken now. You know, my back hurts. My knees are gone or whatever. <laughs> I mean, what do you think? You ever seen a, a retired rancher or a carpenter yeah. or electrician or plumber? You're not fucking special. Like, yeah. Or even accountant. You had to sit in a seat all that damn time. Oh, yeah. man, you know, uh, you know, she'd feel my body right now. I mean, uh, you want to be all blown out, you know, <laughs> time you die. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean. I mean, there is, there is definitely some things that, uh, you know, you know, I'm, I'm 50, I, I had a hip replacement at 52, right. A foot fusion at 50. So, um, but, uh, you know, and, uh, so I, I don't think there's anything special about that occupation. There are some, there are some different dangers, you know, like blowing out your back, landing from a parachute jump that happens a lot or whatever, <laughs> That's not right. Right. but I can't tell you, I mean, a guy I trained with, you know, he fell off his ladder friggin', uh, you know, doing his roof and busted his uh, ankle and he still has arthritis from that. So yeah, it's just mm-hmm. the way it is. But choose your rate, choose your fate, right? There's no, I mean, you're in a, a physical occupation. That's that's a part of it. Yeah. yeah it always, everybody who works with their bodies has the same problems. Right. Yeah, it always amazes me. Like the, uh, we, we've had several of these conversations with, with, with fitness people and like uh, it always comes back to just like basic life philosophy. It's just that like, yep, like uh, this is going to be rough on your body, but that is the way it is like, you know, and that's just all there is to it. Um, and so it's kind of, kind of interesting to see that this one goes kind of the, the same way. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're right at an hour. Um, anything from anybody else that, that want, uh, you want to say or a question you want to ask before we sign off? Let's start with AJ. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm motivated now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm good. I, I do have something to talk to you about afterwards about the bar speed, but other than that on you, Caleb, no, I, I got nothing. I'm like AJ. I'm motivated again. Probably going to go back to the gym a second time, see how far I can push it. <laughs> there you go. I think that one one thing I developed a, a couple of years ago was a, a ideal body weights uh, for athletes. You just search the website for ideal body weight, mm-hmm. and I, I developed some uh, some ideal body weights. And um, you'll find that uh, there's lots of guys in the military are too heavy, not because they're fat, mm-hmm. because they're just carrying too much muscle around, and um, uh, and so, uh, and that extra body weight isn't, isn't increasing your relative strength and it's just hurting your knees and your hips and everything else. So in other words, you want to be as light as you can, um, cause you're going to be faster, um, and still have, you know, strength to move the weight you need to do, but all that, if you're carrying around excess muscle mass, especially upper body muscle mass, then, uh, you know, you're, uh, you know, Hey, look, an, an AR isn't that, isn't that heavy, he's <laughs> eight pounds, yeah. right? You know, you don't get, you don't got to bench 400 pounds <laughs> to be able to move an AR around. Right. Um, I'd rather have your legs, you know, big ass, you know, just for the rucking and running that you're going to be doing or sprinting. So, uh, yeah, so that, that'd be one thing I'd, I'd encourage people to look at and just kind of see where they are on that scale. Like they're just standards and everybody fits in there, but, um, you know, I, um, a lot of guys do fit in there. And, and sometimes you get guys who are really skinny and, you know, they can't put muscle mass on. Um, and I'm one of those guys who kind of packs around too much muscle. I wish I could lose it. Um, I don't know what I'm going to have to do to lose my upper body mass. Um, but, yeah. uh, you know, I can tell you right now that my knees and, and hips and stuff wish I was 10 pounds lighter, you know, just from muscle. You know, I would, I would gladly take the ego hit to my bench press to have knees that don't hurt as much. Right. All right. Well, that's a great place to, to end it. Thanks for, uh, for coming on. Uh, yeah, we're happy to have you. All right. Appreciate it, fellas. All right. Thank you.
This has been the Raven Report Podcast, the official podcast of the 81st Striker Brigade Combat Team. If you're interested in seeing if you have what it takes to join our team, go to our Instagram and click the link in the bio. Click the join link and connect with us.